Well, let's take our Bibles here this morning and turn to two passages of Scripture. Leviticus 23, if you would please. Leviticus and chapter number 23. As you stand in honor of God's Word here this morning, I appreciate that. And then also find your place in 1 Corinthians and chapter number 5. So, Leviticus 23... And 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and then we'll also read a passage from chapter number 15. So 1 Corinthians 5, if you'll just mark your Bible there. And then our text today is going to be Leviticus. This is Sermon 20 out of Leviticus. As we're going through, we're really reading, as some have said, the backbone of the New Testament. The backbone of the New Testament, meaning that there's so much in Leviticus that you see and maybe I hope that our study has given you even maybe a better understanding of what's going on even in the New Testament and some insights uh, both to Old and New Testament. And so our series is entitled this, Still Holy, Still Holy. And so really every chapter has given us occasion to emphasize the holiness of God and anything related to God also ought to have the characteristic of being set apart in a God and thus holy. Amen. And so today we are considering God's calendar. God's calendar. You say God has a calendar? Yes. And we're going to read about it here in Leviticus 23. God's calendar of holy days. God's calendar of holy days. And I believe it will be uh, insightful uh, if you'll stay awake. All right. That's step one. That's step one. And uh, I believe really that it will be very helpful to you. You say, I have a hard time keeping up with my own calendar. Well, you need to, need to let this uh, have an impact on your calendar. This is God's agenda that he spelled out for them. In Leviticus 23, we begin reading now in verse number 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feast of the Lord which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feast. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest and holy convocation. Ye shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. So that was an, a weekly observance. So now it gets in verse 4. To annual observances. These are the feast of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. In the fourteenth day of the first month, even, I'm sorry, at even, it is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day, so the following day of the same month, is the feast of unleavened bread. Unto the Lord, seven days ye must eat unleavened bread. In the first day ye shall have an holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. But ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. And in the seventh day an holy, is an holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, when ye be come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. Now watch what happens in verse 11. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow, after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And ye shall offer that day when ye shall wave the sheaf for an lamb, an, an he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And then some other things that are mentioned in verse 13. The meat offering thereof shall be two-tenths dill, a fi fine flour mingled with, an, with oil. An offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor. And the drink offering thereof shall be of wine, the fourth part of a hen. And ye shall eat neither bread, nor parched corn, nor green ears, until the selfsame day that ye shall have brought an offering unto your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. 
All right, are we doing okay so far? I know that's a little reading. You can get lost in there. I mean, you say, okay, I'm, I'm lost. All right, I get it. I understand. That's why we have preaching to kind of get us um, understanding this. So he said, Passover, and then you begin the Feast of Unleavened Bread. On the, feast of, on the very first day of that would be after Saturday, after the Sabbath, then Sunday. Anybody lost? No, you're doing okay there. So after Saturday, Sunday, on the Sunday, he waves the sheaf, the wheat, first fruits. Okay, let's pick up the reading in verse number 15. And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath. So from that Sunday, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath, so the 50th day, shall ye number 50 days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. Ye shall bring out of your habitation two wave loaves of two tenths. Deal. Deals. Okay, everybody see that? So now two loaves of bread. They shall be a fine flour. They shall be bacon with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. And he shall offer with the bread seven lambs, and he begins to describe other things that are offered along with that. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read through all of that, but it is a rather elaborate offering that they were to bring here at the day of Pentecost, as we know it, 50, 50 days after Passover, Pentecost. Verse 20. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord. With the two lambs, they shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be an holy convocation unto you. You shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest. Neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest, for, for thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Okay, now we're going to stop our reading there. Those first 22 verses deal with the springtime festivals. Springtime. Beginning in verse 23 through verse 44, it deals with the autumn, the fall festivals. That's what it deals with. Okay, you say, boy, I hope I'm going to get something out of this. I believe that you will. If you pay attention to it, I really do. I, it, it's been insightful for me to study this, and, and uh, I've studied something along those lines before, but I, I have to say I don't think I quite got it like I, I hope that I got it this time and trying to pass it on to you, and I, I trust that it will be a blessing. God's calendar of holy days. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. We'll get into the message here this morning. If an event is an, an important event for you or your family, one of the first things that you will do, no doubt, is you're going to put it on the calendar. Okay, so how many of you have a calendar? I mean, just obviously I'm sure that you do. You, you have to. You can't. I, I, I can't keep everything up here. That's for sure. And so maybe you use just an old-fashioned calendar. Or you might use a, a computer program, Microsoft Outlook, or something like that. Or you have an app on your phone. Some way to keep track of things that are important. Dates. Dates that are important. Birthdays. Anniversaries. Anniversaries, men. Anniversaries. Important dates you don't want to forget. Family get-togethers, uh, ball games, uh, kids getting ready to go into football season or already in football season, ball games you want to attend, piano recitals, tax-free weekend, put that on the calendar, opening day of hunting season, okay, so we're talking about important days here, bedlam, you know, days like that, right, if it's an important day, you put it on your calendar. Uh, this really comes at a, at a great time because we just finished up our summer events and now we're getting ready to go into the fall. We have dates on the calendar that we've worked on uh, over a year ago and 
put them. Some of them are just reoccurring. They're annual events that we have. I hope that we don't have them just out of routine because they are meaningful dates. Now, it is possible that even Sunday would get to be a just out of habit or routine. We really have to work against that because every, every day is important. But the Lord's day ought to be set aside unto him and focused on him and celebrated and not, uh, not just here out of habit. And so we have some important dates coming up. This is a great time for me to do just a little promo as we go into the fall. Late night men's prayer meeting, September the 19th. is a great time, men. I want to encourage you to be here. Brother Keith Hainline, Brother Brad Cowser are going to preach to us, and we're really going to focus on missions. I just thought about it, that as we're, as we're praying, you know, from 10 o'clock until about 2 o'clock, that's right when some of our missionaries are doing their work. And so we're going to focus on praying for our missionaries in that late night men's prayer meeting. Taking Aim Sunday, that's in a couple weeks, uh, a couple weeks away or so, uh, September the 28th. Adults in ministry. We set aside a day every year where we try to help all new members to some way get involved. I encourage the Sunday school class I teach uh, this morning. <clears throat> to consider at least just getting involved, even if it's just working in the children's church, just one Sunday a month. Listen, even just that will be a relief and be a help, a way to get involved. And, and then the ladies' retreat, the ladies' retreat, October 17th and 18th, moving ahead and Celebration Sunday on one, one day, moving ahead and Celebration Sunday, the first Sunday of November, celebrating our church's uh, history and the anniversary of our church, as well as not just celebrating the past, but looking ahead to the future as to what God wants us to do. And then Friend Day, such an important day around here. Friend Day, as you try to invite your friends to come, the second Sunday of November, uh, trying to get somebody that does not know Jesus as their Savior, trying to get them to come here so they can hear the gospel on that day, Friend Day. And then the Christmas Cantata. I'm excited about the Christmas Cantata already. Uh, it's going to be called Behold His Glory. And the choir already is going to begin working, I believe, maybe today. Uh, on the uh, Christmas cantata, singing Christmas songs in September. Isn't that great? They work hard at it. Well, the reason I mention those things is because for our church calendar, those are important events. And there are others, but those are important events because they represent important parts of our lives. And it also helps us to have a focus on God. Why do we put things on a calendar. Well, it's so that we don't forget things. We want to remember important events. I could mention some dates uh, today, and that's going to bring us back to uh, United States history, July 4th, right? That, that ought to be a special date for, uh, for Americans. Uh, somebody uh, asked, do they celebrate July 4th in Canada? <laughs> well, not quite like we do here, you know. Or back in England, do they celebrate? Not quite like we do. That's a special date for us, right? Um, December 7th, a day that, that we all remember. And of course, here we are, right at September the 11th. I mean, some of these days, we have them on our calendar. Some of them, really, we'd rather not. Okay, but we, we actually remember them uh, because we, we don't want to forget what that day represents. Okay, there's something important that happened in the past that will help us today in the present, but it also will help us as we look toward the future so that we don't forget the sacrifice of others. I just saw on the news last night, maybe you noticed this, and I did not catch exactly where it was, but firefighters climbing stairs in remembrance of the over 300 uh, men who, who gave their life in service at 9-11. And so these men, they're looking back to September of the 11th, and they're doing that today. And what it's communicating is this, what these men did then in their sacrifice was important. And we need more men into the future who will, who will serve as first responders, to have that mentality and that heart. We celebrate Thanksgiving. It's not just a day for football, food, and fellowship, though I'm thankful for all of the above, for sure. But we remember we remember that God provided for our forefathers there on that first Thanksgiving meal. We remember, and we give thanks to God. Amen. We give thanks. And so we remember that, but then also as we celebrate Thanksgiving here in a few, a couple months or so, we are doing this. We are saying, thank you, God, for providing for us this year. 
we are also saying this, God, we trust that you will take care of us into the future. So these important dates that have made their way onto our calendars, they help us to remember the past. They help us to be grateful and thankful in the present. And they also help us to get ready for the future. Okay, we do that with Christmas. We remember the Lord's birth. We are thankful for what he means in our lives today. And we believe that not only did he come then, but that he's coming again. Okay, see what these dates do? These are important dates. These are big rocks that we have here in the text. What I mean by that is a reference back, and I don't want to take a lot of time here just to go into this illustration in depth, but I heard about a professor who, who brought a clear jar, a rather large clear jar, uh, to his class one day, a plastic clear jar, and he had it filled with big rocks. And he asked his college class, is this, is this uh, container, is it filled? And they said yes. And then he took gravel, and he poured that gravel into it shook it down and then he asked is it filled and they said yes and he took sand and poured into it and put it and shook it down and so thus it was filled with sand and then he asked is it filled well at this point they're catching on and they said no <laughs> so then he took water and then he filled it up and at that point it was filled he asked a class what can we learn from this they one person raised their hand and said well you can always add more to it. He said, no, that's not the lesson. The lesson is this. You have to start with the big rocks. And if you start with the big rocks, everything else can find its place around that. What we have in, in Leviticus 23 are the big dates, the big rocks. He started with the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Listen, if you'll put God first... Everything else will find its place around him. Let him be your priority. Put God first. It's wonderful that you're here on this Sunday morning. And if this needs to become a habit for you, then make it a habit for you. Put God first. And I realize you work during the week and you're busy. And, and you know, Saturday and Sunday may be your only days, you know, to catch up on everything. And, but listen, don't catch up on sleep on a Sunday morning. You ought to be here in church. And by doing that, doing this, putting God first, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all the other things of life, God will add unto you. He has a way of taking care of those things. Seek him first in your day. You know, I, I, I'm tempted just to rush into the list of things that I've got to do for that day. And I've done that and become frustrated by the midday or mid-morning. But then when I've begun on bended knee saying, God, I need your help. It's amazing how much more gets accomplished in a day like that. Why? Because you're putting God first. Okay. So we're talking today about these important dates in Israel's calendar important dates for the people then, and they have a bearing on your life today. A couple words that are used here that I want to just uh, do some explanation and, and I want you to get. First of all, the word feast. The word feast may conjure up food. Somebody said last week, we talked way too much about food. And they were starving by the time we got, you know, to, to the noon hour. I understand that. So, uh, any case, but this word feast doesn't necessarily mean that they had a meal that they ate. Actually, on some of these days, they fasted. That means no food. How, what's a feast without food? That doesn't sound fun, right? So feast is not just meaning like a meal, but it means this, an appointed time. God says there are some appointed times that I want to give you. The word convocation, it, it, it has this word of of coming together, summoning, to call. It's the word mikra, kara means to call. So it would be this, to call together. There are some times that God said, I want to call all my people together. I want them to gather together on some holy convocation, some, some assembly times. God says, I want the people to gather get together on certain important dates. And depending on how you break these down, because some of them like the day of, a, I'm sorry, the uh, Passover and the unleavened bread and the feast of first fruits, you could kind of combine some of those together. So depending on how you combine some of them, there's either five to seven feasts that God said, I want you to observe. 
the Passover uh, in the in the first year, first month of their religious calendar would be our calendar month of March. And so they would observe Passover to remember how God delivered them from Egypt. And, and then the, after the, along with that, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of First Fruits. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Fifty days later, they would observe what we know as Pentecost. Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. Seven Sabbaths. Seven weeks. Forty-nine days plus one. Fifth, the 50th day, you would, you would celebrate the harvest, the first harvest. Then there was a break, uh, summer, as we know it. There would be a break there from early May until September. And in September, they would have the Feast of Trumpets to call them together. And then the Day of Atonement, and then the Feast of Booths, B-O-O-T-H-S, the feast where they would literally build a booth and they would live in it for a week to remember how that they came through Egypt. And basically, they had a week of camping out. Is what they did, to remember how God provided for them in the wilderness. And so we're going to cover those um, later. It's just too much material to cover, of course, in one setting. Why did they do this? Why did God give them this? He gave them these dates that they might be holy people set apart unto him that they might be loyal to him just like it's good for us to celebrate july 4th in a grand fashion for the sake of patriotism and thanks to god for our country it was good for them to celebrate these feasts to come together and to remember what god did for their country lest they should forget but not only that, that's an important part of it, but it also was this, it was them looking forward to what God was going to do. And thus I like what Warren Wiersbe said when he said that this calendar, this is the calendar that tells the future. The calendar that tells the future. And so we're going to see that here this morning. How about we begin in verse 3 and 4 with reference to the Sabbath day. And I'm not going to take a lot of time here because we've already dealt with the Sabbath day in previous messages. It was the oldest of the festivals or of the holy days. Actually, it dates all the way back to Genesis chapter number 2. When God worked and created those, uh, created all that is in those six literal days. Not six ages. Not six thousands or six millions of years. No, nothing like that. Six literal days. How, do you, how can you be so bold to say that? Well, because it says it in the Bible. Amen. God says, just like I work six days, you work six days. That ought to settle it right there. So he said, six days you work, the seventh day you rest, because in the seventh day the Lord rested. The word rest there doesn't mean that he was tired and he had to get a break. Now, you work six days, okay, you work one day, and you're ready for a break. Isn't that right? No, I think we all can identify with that. I mean, just work, you know, get you wore out. I remember what my granddad used to say, I'm not afraid of work. I can lay down and go to sleep right beside it, you know. And, and uh, so, uh, you know, I, I'm glad for people that work hard. God says, I want you to work hard. It's good to work hard. But I want you to have a day set aside when you rest, when you cease from your normal work. You cease from your normal activities to do this. Get your minds back on me. Reflect on what I've done. The rest, but it's bigger than that. The Sabbath day was pointing somewhere. It was saying what it said then is God ceased from his labor. God ceased. He rested. What the Sabbath day is doing is it is a day of rest. And listen, here's the point. We find our rest in the Lord. You find your rest in the Lord. The entrance of sin and selfishness and pride disrupted the rest that we can have in God. And so God was at work and in the work of redemption. And then this, okay, now I'm moving rather quickly here this morning, trusting that you're following me, that Jesus on the cross said this, it is finished. Amen. What that means is, is that it has ceased. The work of redemption is complete. 
in, in creation, six days, God created everything and he ceased. He said, it is finished. That was the work of the first creation, the work of, that is necessary for the new creation. What new creation? That you might be born again, that new creation, that you might become a new creature. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. The Sabbath day pointed to that rest that you and I can have now that we are in Christ. We don't do works in order to be saved, but here's what we do. We rest in what Jesus did for our salvation. And that's why Hebrews chapter 4 says that it's by faith that we enter into that rest. So that's why today we did not, that's why we're gathering today and not on Saturday. Because the Sabbath served its purpose. It pointed forward to Christ. Now that that is complete, we are no longer obligated to observe the Sabbath, which, by the way, the Sabbath was a sign for the Jews. It's a sign of the covenant, a sign of their relationship. Now that Messiah has come, we have that, that relationship through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so believers in the New Testament began to gather on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, they gathered every day. How about that? Well, I believe being saved for eternally is worth gathering every day. And that's what they did. But they did gather in a special way every Lord's Day on Sunday to commemorate, to remember that their Savior rose again from the dead, and thus they have hope. I believe there's benefit. I believe there's spiritual benefit for your life having been here today. Amen. It is good for us collectively to come together and to rejoice in what Jesus did. It is good for us to remember that he is alive. Listen, you're going to face things in this coming week that you're going to need to know that he is alive. And so it's good for us to be here. And also it's good for us to be here even just to help others know Jesus is alive. Listen, every time you get in your car and you come to church on a Sunday morning, you know what you're saying to your neighbors? He's alive and I'm going to go worship him. Every time we run those buses, we're saying to those kids, hey, he's alive and you ought to know him and you can know him. We don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a risen Savior and he's in the world today and, and we see him at work in our lives. Listen, we gather here every Sunday morning to celebrate one person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Weekly reminder, you need it. Weekly reminder of what God did for you. A weekly opportunity for you to get your, your life off to a right start for the next week. A weekly reminder that he came once, he's coming again. Okay, let's move on now. Let's move on to the annual feast. Beginning in verse number 4 and 5, just a real short reference he has to the Passover. A short reference. The Passover uh, began there, as I've already mentioned, in the month of March. And it was the day in which that they celebrated uh, the time when God delivered them from Egypt's bondage of slavery. And so what happened there, of course, is that they took the lamb, that precious lamb, each family took a lamb, a spotless lamb without blemish. They, they slew the lamb, they killed the lamb, and they took the blood from that lamb and they put it over the doorpost of their home. And when God came that night to take the, the life of the firstborn, when he saw the blood, he passed over that house, meaning that everyone that was in that house was saved, delivered. So they were saved by the blood. God said, I want you to have an annual feast every year in which you observe the Passover. When you remember how that you were saved from slavery by the blood. God says, I want you to have that every year. And that's what they did. Along with that, they also celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread. If you remember there, God told them, as you come out of Egypt, we're going to be coming out with haste very quickly. You're not going to have time for bread to rise. And thus it was without leaven. That leavening, of course, would be that which would cause the bread to rise. And, and so God says, listen, we don't have time to cook a meal here. You're going to have to be on your way rather quickly. 
So the, the bread, the unleavened bread, they would eat there every year. Jews continue to do this to this very day. Around the Passover time, uh, they observe, of course, the Passover meal. And they also observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread to commemorate, to remember how that God brought them out of Egypt in haste. Listen, and also this, it was symbolizing this, they made a distinct break with Egypt. And thus now what is done is a father goes through the house and he searches the house for leaven to get rid of any leaven that's in the house. Leaven also is used in the scriptures to speak of sin and corruption. And so all corruption was to be removed. After the blood had been shed and people had been set free from slavery, then they were to remove the corruption that was in their lives. This sounds like it might get into some preaching. Okay? Blood's been shed, you can go free. When you go free, you get the corruption out. You make a distinct break with you make a distinct break with where you came from. Make a distinct break from Egypt. Getting out of there, not taking anything with you except what he told him to take. And, and thus they made that distinct break. And thus the Feast of Unleavened Bread. All right, how about we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 just to get some New Testament insight here on this. Every year they were to remember that they'd been delivered by the blood. That that blood of the Passover lamb had been shed for them. Every year they were to make a, a distinct, clear break with Egypt and leave it behind. Every year they were to remove corruption from their life so as to live a life of purity because of the blood that had been shed for them. Look what Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. He's dealing with a, a particular situation where there's a man in the church that, that is in sexual sin and yet the church is not dealing with it. And Paul is, is rebuking them and saying, listen, you've got to deal with things that are not right in the church because that church is supposed to be holy. You've been set free from sin. Corruption's got to be out. And thus he says, in verse number 6, he says, your glorying is not good. He's talking about that situation. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. He's saying, listen, if you, leave, if you let this situation go on, it's going to cause problems in the church. He says it's got to be, it's gotta be uh, taken out, extracted. Look at verse number 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For, watch what he says, even Christ... Our what? Passover. Even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Next uh, part. Not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice. That means ill feelings towards another person. And even wrong words and actions towards another person nor of wickedness. Wickedness has got to be out of the life of the believer, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Here's what Paul says. In fact, we observe it every year as we observe the Lord's Supper year by year. By the way, Jesus died in conjunction or co coinciding with the Passover, the festival of the Passover above the Jews. He died at that time. Paul says this, Jesus died at that time because he was the Passover lamb. His blood was shed and applied to your life that you might go free from sin. Sin no longer has dominion over you. You've been saved by the blood of the lamb. So because you've been saved by the blood of the lamb, your life ought to look like it. And because that church has been saved by the blood of the Lamb, that church's life ought to look like it. And so because of that, let's not only observe the Passover and thank God that Jesus was our Passover Lamb shed for us, but let us also observe the feast. What feast? The Feast of Unleavened Bread. What he's saying is this, get the leaven out. You've got ill feelings, one member towards another member, stop it. 
Get it right. Observe the feast with unleavened bread, so to speak, by getting out any sin that's there. Wickedness in the church has got to be dealt with. Why? Because this is his church. It ought to be a holy church, not, not having any spot or wrinkle, but it ought to reflect the image of the one who created us and saved us and redeemed us. Listen, you've been set free. Live like it. That's what he's saying. By that feast of unleavened bread, make a clean break. Get rid of anything in your, your life that speaks of the old man. You got a brand new life. Passover, unleavened bread feast. Then I want to call your attention to this one. It's mentioned in greater detail in Leviticus 23 than any other. And you don't have to turn back to Leviticus 23, but I want you to get this. The Passover was slain there. And then they observed that Sabbath. And he said, the day after the Sabbath, I want you to celebrate in conjunction with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, I want you to celebrate this, the new harvest, the first fruits. And so, Brother Rick, if you'll grab the, uh, that uh, wheat for us here. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a sheaf and to bring that sheaf Okay, I didn't get this from the house. Okay, I didn't grow up on a farm, sorry, but I know somebody that did. <laughs> but here, here's what he said to do. If you've celebrated a Passover and you begin that Feast of Unleavened Bread and you have the wheat that has come in, that first fruits as it's come in, I don't want you to eat one grain of it until you've presented it for, before me as a wave offering. They would literally do that, wave it before the Lord. However it was they waved it, they waved it before God. What were they saying by that? They were saying, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've provided. Thank you for delivering us from sin. Thank you for helping us to get rid of the corruption in our life. Thank you for the new life that you've given us. Symbolized here by this sheaf. And God accepted this offering on behalf of the harvest to come. This was the first fruits. This said, thank you, God, for what you provided. But it, it also was this. It also said this. I believe that God's going to give us more. Do you get that? I believe God is going to give us more. Now, there's a principle here that every one of us ought to get. Every one of us. Before you make yourself a sandwich, you ought to say, thank you, Lord, for what you've provided for me. God said, before you eat one grain, one kernel, before you do anything else with it, you offer it to me. You know what that's teaching us? That's teaching us this. He ought to get our best and he ought to get our first. I want to bring you my, my leftovers. You say, I thought you preached that last week. Yeah, I'm preaching it again because it's here. He says, I want you to offer me the first fruits. Offer it unto me because I'm, I'm worthy of that, that first fruits. And so before, you, before your, your, the food there goes to anything, uh, any other purpose or anything else, you present it to me as a thanksgiving offering. Before you write a check to, or before you swipe a card for, you make sure that you give your tithe. First fruits, right off the top. Honor the Lord with your first fruits. And then what Proverbs says? Honor the Lord with your first fruits. Right off the top. I'm giving it to God. Listen, here's what will happen if you say, well, you know, I'm going to make sure that everybody else is getting paid and then I'll give to God. You know what's going to happen? You're not going to give to God. Because there's going to come a lot more people that are going to want to get paid. Anybody in here have people that want to get paid? I'm sure you do. They send you a, a nice, kind letter every, every month. Isn't that right? Well, listen, as you sit down and you do your budget, every week, you ought to, every, every month, you ought to say, God, we're giving you right off the top. I'm not waiting till the end. I'm giving you right off the top. That's what we do. Angie and I try to sit down monthly, and we sit down, and we say, okay, this many weeks, this much, this much tithe is going out, this much faith promise, this much moving ahead. Right off the top. We don't wait to see if we can do that. It's the first fruits. It's the first fruits. Okay? I want you to see in 1 Corinthians 15, though, how Paul used the first fruits. This is pretty awesome. 1 Corinthians 15, just turn over a few more pages in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. If you know 1 Corinthians 15, then you already know where I'm going, but act like you don't, okay? So 1 Corinthians 15, and look what, look what he says here in 1 Corinthians 15. He's talking about the resurrection. Well, he's talking about the gospel, how that, how that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. 
He was crucified because we were sinners and he was buried, but he rose again and he was seen. He was seen. He was seen. He was, he was presented. He was seen. He was seen of Cephas. He was seen of the apostles. He was seen of over 500 people at one time. He was revealed. When, whoa, when was he revealed? When was he manifest? On Sunday. The day after the Sabbath day. He was presented. Okay, as what? Well, look down in chapter 15 and verse number 17. If Christ be not raised, your faith is, in vain, is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep or that have died in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are, of all men, most miserable. You know what he's saying? If he's still dead and he's supposedly the Messiah, we're miserable. If he did not rise again. Oh, I love verse 20 though, don't you? But now is Christ risen from the dead. He is alive, my friend. Now is Christ risen from the dead. Oh, and watch this. And become, thus, say it with me, the first fruits of them that slept. And then he goes on. I mean, he's using, you know what he's doing? He's going all the way back to Leviticus the backbone of the New Testament. And he's saying, you know, you know like in the Old Testament, how that you had the Passover when the lamb was slain for the sins of the people that they might go free from slavery. And you know that the, the unleavened bread and all that was involved in that. But you know also on that day after the Sabbath, how that they would raise and, and uh, hold up there and wave before God that sheaf as a first fruit indicating that there would be more to come. He said, now is Christ risen and become the first fruits. The first fruits of who? The others who are going to die and be buried. Someday you're going to die and you're going to be buried unless Jesus comes again before you die. And he's saying this, he was the first fruits. That indicates this, there's more to come. Someday the trumpet is going to sound and we who are the later fruits are going to rise just like he did. That's what Paul is saying. Oh, by the way, I don't think it was any coincidence that it was on Sunday that that priest was supposed to wave it, saying there's the possibility of new life here. There's the promise of new life here. There's the evidence of new life here. And thus there is hope. Yeah. Fifty days later. So, Brother Rick, let me just have you stand here, if you would. I'm losing a little bit here. but Okay, so 50 days later... He said, I want you to observe this. Fifty days later, you observe Pentecost as we know it, the Feast of Weeks. You take two loaves of bread. Okay, now what's the difference between, the obvious difference between this and these? This has been harvested and prepared and ready to serve, and this is leavened. Unleavened? Leavened. He says, 50 days later, I want the priest to take this, these two loaves of bread, of flour, been prepared, and here's what I want him to do. Wave them before the Lord. What, what were they doing 50 days later? Well, this was the first harvest. Again, this was the people saying this, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've provided. You gave us the first fruits, and we gave that to you. And now you've provided these 50 days. We've harvested our grain, and we've prepared it, and we've put it in the oven, and it's risen, and now we're going to be able to sit down and eat, and we want to give you thanks. That was the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was the harvest of the first fruits. Sam, you mind to come and just hold this here? The first fruits resulted in the bread. Do you think it's any coincidence that Jesus said, tarry in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father? Do you think it's any coincidence that it says in Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, the Holy Ghost came on them. And they spoke with other tongues, other known languages, by the way, other tongues. 
and they gave witness. What was that? That was on the day of Pentecost. What was this? The first fruits of those that would rise again. What this is, is the fact that Jesus rose again from the dead is where the church started in the sense that it began with Jesus. Listen, I want to be very clear here. The church did not begin here no more than these loaves of bread began here on this day. You get that? Because these loaves of bread just didn't magically appear. Boom. No, there had to be a first harvest. And then there had to be preparation made so that on this day then it was presented as a way of saying, thank you God for the harvest of the first fruits. You see what a church is, it's, it's a harvest of Jesus' resurrection. The work that he did on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And when a believer is, when a person is, is a believer, when they believe what Jesus did for them, then the Bible teaches that they're saved. And once they're saved, they're to be baptized and thus they are assembled into a church. And so what we have on the day of Pentecost is the fulfillment of those first fruits. And it's the people offering up to God and saying, thank you, God, for what you did there. And that all happened on God's calendar. Way back in the desert, God said, I want my people to remember what I've done for them. I want my people to think about their lives in the present situation. And I want my people to think about the future. And thus, I want them to remember every year the Passover. And every year I want them to remember the unleavened bread and how to get corruption out of their life. And every year I want them to remember that first fruits because there's coming a day when my son will rise again and he'll be the first fruits of them that believe. And there's coming a day when I'm going to start a church and I'm going to manifest that church to the world and that's what he's done here. God says I want them to do that. That's on my calendar. Okay, thank you, man. I appreciate it very much. How does that apply to your life and my life? Well, those dates there were given to them by God to help them to remember the past, to make sure they're right with Him in the present, and trusting Him into the future. You know what you need? Some dates. You need some dates. What kind of date are you talking about? There needs to be a date, a day, when you were born into God's family. Many of you may not be able to remember exactly what day specifically it was that you were saved, but you remember the occasion when you were born again. When you trusted Jesus as your Savior. For me, it was April the 1st, 1984, April Fool's Day. That's hard to forget. But I'm so thankful God was not playing a trick on me. I know for sure I was saved on that day. You know what I do every year? Every year when April 1st pulls around, comes around, I remember the day. As, a, as an eight-year-old, when God dealt with my heart and showed me that I was a sinner and that Jesus died for me. I'd heard that, no telling how many times. But on that day, I understood it. And I asked the Lord Jesus to forgive me of my sin and to be my Savior on that day so that every year that rolls around, I'm remembered. That was 30 years ago this year. I remember that day. I remember another day. I remember a day as a young teenage, a, a teenage young man struggling in sin. And I remember a day there where you say, well, I thought you were saved. Yes, but saved people still sin. I remember the day there where I came before God and I said, God, I, I need you to work in my life. I know that you're at work. I need your help because I just keep going back into sin. God, would you help me? You know what that day was? It was a day when leaven started getting out of my life. I can go back to that. I can go to another day where I surrendered to the Lord to do whatever God wanted me to do. I can go back to that day. Hey, listen, you need some dates. First of all, you need a date that you know that that's the day that you were saved. If I were to come to you one-on-one -on -one today and I were to ask you, do you know for sure that you're saved and on your way to heaven? You ought to be able to say yes, and I'll tell you when it was. You need a date. If you don't have a date like that, you can have one today. Today. Let today be the day. 
Then you need a day when you are just turning your life over to the Lord, dedicating your life unto Him. It's as though you're coming before God and waving your life, so to speak, before God and say, God, take my life and use me, help me, dear God, in these various areas. Hey, listen, you need a date when you're baptized. You need a date when you join the church. You need a date when you're serving God. You need some dates. And every year we have dates that are in our church calendar to remind us of some things that are important. We have a missions conference coming up in, in March. You know why we have that every year? To remind us that God has given us a very important mission as the church that he has started. A very important mission to evangelize the world. And then we have some other important dates in our calendar. Dates such as a vacation Bible school. You know why we have that date? It's a date to remember this, that kids need to hear the gospel and kids need to be saved and kids need to be growing in, in faith. And we have a youth camp and we have a youth conference and we have a men's advance and a ladies retreat. You know what that's saying? That's saying this, those are some days when you ought to stop. Sometimes when you ought to stop and look back at what God has done, look at what God is doing, and look ahead and say, I'm going to trust him into the future. You need some dates, some reminders. You need a weekly reminder. Thank you, Lord, for the first fruits, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've got hope because of the resurrection. You need that weekly reminder to say, God, there's some things in this heart of mine that need to be out. Some ill feelings, some bitterness, some lust, some doubt, fear. God, please work in my heart to get it out. I need some dates to remind me I can trust God. He can bring me through. What he's done here, he can provide I know that he can. You need some of those dates. Do you have time set apart unto God in your calendar? In your daily calendar? Do you have a time of devotion every day? When you, it is devoted unto God for you to read your Bible and to pray and say, God, this day is yours. I don't, I don't want to begin with my agenda. I want to begin with your agenda. You need that every day. Do you have that time? If not, put it on your calendar for tomorrow. You have some important times down. You have Sundays down in your calendar. This is the Lord's day. We get ready to have the Lord's Supper. You ought to have that date down. Whenever it is, put it down on the calendar ahead of time. Why? Because it's important. I'm telling you this morning, we've got to start with the big rocks, what God wants us to do. And God has a way of making everything else work out as we honor Him. Father, today I want to thank you for your blessings on our life. We remember today that Jesus rose again. I pray today if there's someone here that does not know Jesus as Savior, that today might be the day of their salvation. Even as you said in your word that today is the day of salvation. God, I pray you'd make it very plain and clear to them. Father, maybe someone needs to be one who would follow you in believer's baptism, or they need to join this church, or they need to... Uh, get involved in the ministry of this church, whatever it is, God, the spiritual work that needs to be done. I pray that you'd help them to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together here this morning.